Hashem Hashem Nasev V'Natzliach, Shur Torah, Buchim Abayim. We're back here, continuing our series of the Geret Agra, Ezrat Hashem. Where the Gaum Yivilna, Alav HaShalom, wrote a letter to us just in the last couple of hundred years that we see the words of the sages in the Mishnah in Avot, Afoch Ba V'Afoch Ba Dekula Ba, delve into it and delve into it, everything is in it. Uh, the more we uh, see uh, the words of the sages, the more we see why Kadosh Baruch Hu explained to, you know, pretty much told us uh, as a nation that there's really no reason for us to go elsewhere. There's no reason for us to learn anything else because everything is in a Torah. Even if it's in a, a letter that looks superficially uh, simple as a letter from a, a father to his family, we see how many Shure Torah we've learned from it over these uh, last year or so. Uh, tonight's shiur will be uh, for a refuah shlema for Rabbanit Levana Bat Sara, um, Rav Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Rabbanit Sara Bat Anat, Avimori David Ben Asriya, Doris Bat Jora, Sara Bat Sausan, Orit Bat Ilana, Batya Bat Sara, Tinok Ben Batya, uh, and also for a Atzlacharaba. Uh, for Amir ben Shahin, Marsha bat Julie, Ayla bat Marsha, Samuel ben Marsha, Sefas ben Marsha, Alexander ben Marsha, Louis ben Marsha, Shaul ben Farzane, Itro ben Avraham, Oshri ben Doris, Gal ben Doris, Elad ben Doris, and Netanel ben Avraham, and his wife Shalva Mayan bat Sarah, also for Elchanan ben Avraham and uh, his wife uh, Michal bat Yael. And for all of Am Israel and all the righteous Noahides that uh, are uh, constantly uh, learning Torah, supporting Torah, are uh, asking questions because they're really searching for the answers. And Baruch Hashem give us the, uh, the merit of uh, being a small part of their journey to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Uh, so with that being said, uh, I'm hoping that uh, everybody today uh, fasted. Uh, it was a uh, short but difficult fast uh, for a reason. Uh, you know, it's a uh, fast that a lot of people don't think is important, but this is uh, perhaps uh, something that I uh, learned today. Uh, you know, about the fast, um, and perhaps we'll discuss it later in issue to explain why uh, when the Chachamim told us uh, Rabbi Hanina said that HaKadosh uh, Baruch Hu gave Am Yisrael many mitzvot uh, in order to, to give them more kindness. And we see that uh, the mitzvah of uh, fulfilling the words of the sages and fasting today uh, was uh, a chesed, was a kindness, even though perhaps anyone that had a difficult time fasting uh, does not understand why a fast uh, could be a chesed, could be a kindness from Hashem, perhaps will succeed with Siyat Dishmaya in, uh, in seeing why that is later on in the show tonight. But uh, uh, either way, there is an enormous amount of uh, material that uh, Be'ezrat Hashem uh, will try to cover tonight. Uh, quick update, the uh, uh, Kiruv store, Baruch Hashem, is uh, doing uh, great. Uh, anyone that hasn't ordered the uh, my new book, which is in Hebrew, or Ephraim's uh, books, or... Rabbanit Kachlon's books, these are all in Hebrew, but then there's also the CDs, the DVDs, uh, and other material that's in English, uh, the, uh, the other cards, order them, get them out there to your community, get your community uh, to start uh, getting closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We are in uh, very, very difficult times, 
Uh, perhaps uh, some of us are noticing it more than others. But uh, the, uh, the words of the sages are being fulfilled in the Gemara and Masechet Sotah, page 49b. It says that uh, before Mashiach ba, uh, comes, Chutzpah uh, uh, the the chutzpah, uh, the uh, you know the, the horrible nature of people will will be abundant, and even more so, chachamim will be hated. And uh, one of the things that uh, I've said once and I've said again over this last year is that uh, the Yetzirah is we've always known he's a genius. We've always known that he is strong we've always known that he's huge but we didn't quite know how huge and how strong and how smart he is of course all under the command of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, until we saw him operate in full force and fool the vast majority of the world and unfortunately needless to say the vast majority of the Jewish world uh, to the extent where uh, the vast majority of people are under the command of the Yetzirah as we speak and do not even know it. And I'm not referring to the typical things that we talk about, but rather the things that we hate uh, discussing. And once in a while we throw something in there, uh, which is that the Yetzirah has fooled everybody. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted us to do tshuva. He gave us all types of difficulties, all types of uh, tests. We've apparently, we've uh, failed them miserably. Uh, we see what's happening in Israel. We see what's happening in the United States. Anti-Semitism was recently reported to be at a uh, historic high in America. There were more cases of anti-Semitism in America than in any time in recent years. Uh, so much so that over 30% of the hate crimes altogether in the state of New York are directed towards Jews. 30% of a state that has tens of millions of people, over 30% of those hate crimes are towards Jews. I mean, we're talking about a massive amount of anti-Semitism is everywhere. Uh, you have also, uh, unfortunately, a uh, government... Uh, in Israel that has never been more active, has never been more active towards the hatred and the destruction of the Torah, uh, where we see that uh, at the time of uh, the previous uh, administration, uh, you had, of course, difficulties in the world of Torah, but you had things uh, when there was still religious people in power, uh, you know, the Shas movement, Rabovadia, uh, you had a, uh, generally speaking, everything under control to a certain extent. But in this last uh, year, since this Rasha Merusha, uh, Naftali Bennett and his partner Lapid and the rest of the crew of Reshaim uh, took over the, uh, the government in Israel, uh, we've never seen, we've never seen uh, the hatred of the Torah uh, go in, uh, in, in such fast motion. Uh, literally one policy after another and, and, and every single thing that they're trying to pass in order to destroy the yeshivot and the kolels and the religious communities and torture the religious people in every way they can, uh, everything is like immediate. We have to do it right now. Just the other day, they had a meeting, 
that overnight where no one is allowed to leave the building until we pass this anti-Torah law at five o'clock in the morning literally everybody had to stay there overnight for what not uh, for threats of war against Iran not threats of a annihilation because of some virus not because of anything else other than passing more laws against the religious people and this is as if their secular world is doing great when the uh, one of the heads of their uh, of of the armies was recently uh, 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 confirmed and convicted of forcing the Jewish uh, women that were unfortunately soldiers in the IDF to go and have intimate relations with the Arab terrorists for years, he would force the Jewish soldiers to go and be intimate with Arab terrorists as part of the uh, 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 good treatment of the terrorists. I mean, there's a reason why Archachamim, such as the Chazonish, said that it's better to die and not for a woman to go and join the Israeli army. Better to die. It's like Arek Ve'al Yavo, equivalent of idol worship, equivalent of immorality, equivalent of uh, murder. To join the IDF, to join an army in any in any country, needless to say, in Israel, for a Jewish woman, it's areg ve'al yavo. Better to die and not sin. When the Chazonish said that, the uh, secular people lost their mind. And the weak part of the religious people also lost their mind. What do you mean? We have to defend the country. We have to uh, join forces, even if they're not religious. We can make them religious and now countless parents are waking up to the news seeing that their daughter was raped by some arab terrorist but not because the arab terrorist broke out of the cell and went and raped the girl no 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 the jewish leader forced that girl to go with the arab terrorist for years for years so you would think that after such things are exposed the secular government, the anti-Torah government would calm down, would simply go back into their hellhole and shut up. But no, absolutely not. They have been on a rampage over these last several months to do everything possible to destroy the Torah world. And unfortunately, some people that are on their team, like Naftali Bennett himself, that Shalom said he's a kofer baikal. He's a heretic in the main principles of Judaism. You cannot trust this person for anything. He's 100% an apikos, a heretic. You cannot uh, count this person in a minyan. But he wears a kippah, so he looks religious to some people around the world. And unfortunately, you have people like this are on the team of the Rishayim and instituting all types of laws that we've never seen before, we've never heard before. So we see the power of the Tuma, of the impurity of the world, is at all-time highs. But yet, all of what I just said is not of the concern of most people. It's not of the concern of most people. The fact that over 80% of the Jewish people in the world do not observe Shabbat, the basic foundation of Judaism, it's not the main concern for the Jewish people. And I'm talking about the religious Jews. Your average religious Jew does not care less if his neighbor, Tzvi, or Shmuli, or David, or whoever, is observing Shabbat or not. Does not care less. In fact, many religious people pride themselves in inviting a bunch of secular people 
to their houses on Shabbat, knowing that they're going to drive to their houses in and out on a regular basis for years. And even when you tell them it's not allowed, many times they say, no, but at least he's, uh, he's hearing a kiddush. A donkey hearing a kiddush is more productive than a Jew hearing a kiddush if he's going to drive on Shabbat. But unfortunately, some people don't want to hear the truth. They want to live in la-la land. And they care less that most people are not keeping Shabbat. They care less that Jewish girls are being raped. They care less about the fact that you have a disaster in the world in every aspect. What do they all care about? What do you have the, the enormous amount of speakers, rabbis, so-called religious people, secular people, professors, PhDs, all have in common? They've all fallen into the Malkudit, into the trap of the Satan himself, which is coronavirus. The coronavirus is the most destructive virus in the history of men. Much worse than the Black Plague that killed over a hundred million people. Much worse than the Spanish flu that killed millions of people. The coronavirus is by far the most destructive force that has hit the planet in the last 2,000 years. Not because it killed people physically, although it did, but rather because it's killing millions and millions of people spiritually and taking their olamaba and throwing it right into Gehenom with the people as a result of the stupidity that comes out of people's mouth and the satanist fooled people by showing them, listen, Hashem gave me a decree to bring the coronavirus. I'm going to get you guys busy with this. Why? While you're busy with this, I'm going to fool you into talking about it to no end. Talking about the coronavirus to no end. Every second speech by any rabbi out there is about coronavirus, unfortunately. And even worse so, many are actually building, have built themselves an entire career all types of so-called family doctors have suddenly become famous or infamous because of their opinions and going in front of a bedin and telling people this is a biblical war and this is killing everybody don't take the vaccine this is this and this is that and you literally have almost every person almost every person spending a few moments a day a week on a regular basis sharing these stupid videos either about how bad coronavirus or worse how bad the vaccine is and that's what the satan's malkodid is it's not the virus itself it's rather he has fooled the world especially the jewish world to spend all of their energy all of their time all of their zealous nature to go and rebuke anybody that disagrees with them about their opinion about what the vaccine is and what the vaccine isn't. And both sides have caused destruction everywhere that they go. The people that are pro the vaccine, they're simply calling everybody else that's not taking the vaccine, simply people that are committing suicide, murderers, they're, they're terrible people, and every curse under the sun. 
every curse under the sun how dare you not take the vaccine even though logically it makes no sense if you yourself took the vaccine what the hell do you care if i took the vaccine or not you're already protected supposedly with your second third fourth fifth seventh or 19th shot you're protected supposedly what do you care if everybody else is taking it no it's about principle it's about humanity it's about this it's about stupidity it's about this and they simply tear you apart because you didn't take the vaccine but don't worry guys you're not the worst the anti-vaxxers are much worse than you the anti-vaxxers are literally suspect murderers suspect murderers i repeat it again all of these anti-vaxxers that are constantly preaching to the to the to the world about how the vaccine it's killing people it's doing this it's doing that and anyone that's promoting the vaccine he's a murderer he's a this he's a that those people 100 percent suspect murderers including the rabbis that are against it suspect murderers why they showed clearly clearly that yirat shamaim does not exist in a single limb of their body the fear of heaven does not exist in a single limb of their body why anybody that's pro-vaccine anybody that is afraid of it for whatever reason or another simply you're crazy you're stupid you're promoting the vaccine you're gonna kill people this is the attack of the new world order this is this it's a that it's a this oh oh what what, what else why do they top it all off in the last couple of days they go and send death threats death threats to the they send him death threats huh is promoting the vaccine oh we're gonna kill him and they send death threats you're gonna send one of the greatest minds that's ever been in the world of judaism one of the greatest sages in our world today you're gonna send him a death threat and what do you think this is coming from some stupid secular people that are gangsters no rabotai it's coming from people that are unfortunately could even be neighbors neighbors that even wear a kippah why because unfortunately rabotai the satan has caught everybody everybody in his malkodet go and speak about coronavirus and the vaccine because if you're speaking about that that means that all of your energy is going to be spent all of your time is going to be spent all of your money is going to be spent on chasing your own tail and not realizing that the only cure for the disease that we have in the world today is more torah and observance of akadosh baruch's mitzvot that's it there's not going to be any vaccine and there's not going to be any doctor and there's not going to be any campaign that will save the world only if we do tshuva this thing is not going away and the reality is all of those people that have died or will die were supposed to die because they simply were in in the book of life or the book of death that HaKadosh Baruch who has opens on Rosh Hashanah every single year and he simply uses it as a tool but unfortunately Rabotai, the stupidity in the world is a uh, is, is actually proving the Torah's validity even more so why because the Torah tells us time and time again the importance of Yirat Shamaim, the importance of fear of heaven and all of those people that speak against the fear of heaven we already know from the sages that those people are clearly parts of the Erev Rav parts of Amalek anyone that speaks against fear of heaven or the teachings of fear of heaven is 100 Amalek 
no questions about it there's no there's no uh, second thought simply they could remove themselves from that membership by doing tshuva because even the grandsons of Haman did tshuva and they ended up becoming Talmidei Chachamim of Bnei Barak, the Gemara says but nonetheless anyone that speaks against the teachings of Yirat Shamayim of fear of heaven anyone that speaks against the teachings of Genom anyone that speaks against the teachings of Tikkun Abrit anyone that speaks the teachings against the teachings of punishment is 100% part of Amalek as we speak part of Erev Rav as we speak that's a reality it's what our sages have taught us and unfortunately Rabotai we have countless people out there murdering Neshamot by the millions with their stupid speeches with their stupid videos and people are falling trap and I've seen with my own eyes good people good people fall off like flies stop serving Hashem and serve the new idolatry in the world called coronavirus vaccine or anti-vax that is the new thing that's the new Amalek that's the new uh, Abu Dazara that is the disaster of the world today the virus itself or the vaccine if you combine the death from both of them did not equivalent it was not equivalent to even one percent of one percent of the spiritual death that this speaking about it has caused what people are not realizing is that the satan's main job was to get you off fear of heaven get you off torah get you off where you're supposed to go and lead others to go with you and got you into his own path go and spend all of your energy and build a whole career even make money out of it just don't get people to do tshuva and unfortunately this is a disaster because now it's a it's led to the disgrace of many torah sages that are in essence in both sides some torah sages that are for the vaccine some torah sages are against the vaccine but people feel freely to speak against them to, to to say you know just really obnoxious inappropriate rude uh sinful things about some of the greatest sages of the generation and you literally have people that observe shabbat observe mitzvot keep kosher and even learn torah have the title of apikos according to the torah they have an apikos they have a big a stamped on their head apikos heretic why because they desecrate the names of the chachamim anyone that does not follow the words of the sages the gemara says is considered an apikos considered a heretic and this rabotai is a horrible thing and that's why avraham avinu taught us that anyone who does not have fear of heaven you have to suspect that this person could potentially murder you you are not allowed to be in a room alone with such a person now this teachings by Avraham Avinu and then interpreted by our sages seemed like oh it's a little bit of an extreme statement so what if he's not afraid of Hashem why would he murder people he's such a nice guy she's such a nice woman but then we see in the last 24 48 hours you have people that supposedly fear Hashem that supposedly are good people that supposedly want the good for the people threaten 
one of the greatest sages in the world of Kanievsky, that they're gonna murder him and his grandson and his family and everybody that's associated with them why because he promotes the vaccine suspect murderer is now in a different uh, in a different level it's no longer suspect murderer it's almost verified murderer just give him an opportunity tell him something he doesn't want to hear this is the topic that the Gaomi Vilna taught his family in this letter as he said in the last uh, last week well last time we had this shoe he taught his uh, family that it's very important to have fear of heaven and that fear of heaven may lead you to make decisions that do not make sense to you such as do not let your daughter go to synagogue generally speaking it's better for women not to go to synagogue and i know that there are many women out there that hated that teachings by the gaomi vilna but there's a reason why he is considered a gaon and you're not this is why when we teach modesty we tell people that whether they're jews or gentiles they should be as modest as possible including including covering their hair with the mitpachat somebody says yeah but if they're not Jewish and they cover their hair with a mitzvahat they look Jewish no they look modest that's what they look like covering your hair for a woman has been always an international step of men that people took upon themselves for the sake of modesty it wasn't just exclusive to Judaism the Muslims cover their hair the uh the uh Hindus cover their hair many people in uh in all over the world cover the hair throughout all of history although it's lesser today throughout all of history it's been done by all of mankind the Christians the Catholics the uh the Jews the uh the uh Arabs everybody has covered their hair at some point or another and there are still many cultures today like some of the ones I mentioned that still cover their hair until this day for the sake of modesty not because it's more comfortable but yet some people say no but it's a uh, but it's my mitzvah okay let it be your mitzvah somebody else doing a mitzvah somebody else looking more modest is not going to take anything less from you but unfortunately when it doesn't make sense to somebody they don't want to accept it that also shows is a lackings in Yirat in some of us there's a lackings in Yirat in some of us because the Gaomi Vilna says that Yirat Shemaim Yirat Shemaim is something that's going to lead you to do things that outright show that you are a servant of Hashem whether it makes sense to you or not which brings us to the point of why did we fast today why did we fast today and why is the fast that we had today such a great kindness from Hashem kindness from Hashem that we fasted today especially that it was a difficult fast you have so many mitzvot out there you have the afrashat chala your wife or you yourself make chala Baruch Hashem. you say oh look this is showing that i have yirat shemaim why i fear hashem i want to make chala instead of buy chala where the... no making chala does not really show or testify that you have a yirat shemaim why you benefit out of it you can have a delicious chala so in reality yes could potentially but not 100 percent verification you have yirat shemaim why because you benefit out of it oh but i prayed to hashem okay you pray to hashem praying to hashem if you have a really good prayer feels good feels good to pray to that doesn't show you have your mind oh but i learned torah learn torah 
Give me an opportunity. Give a few people that I know the opportunity. We'll learn to what? 27 hours a day. If you can give me the 27 hours. Doesn't show you have you got your mind if you learn Torah. There's many out there that are heretics that hate the Torah, but learn it anyway. Because it helps their heresy. Learning Torah does not testify that you have your mind. There are many mitzvot. You say, well, I put on tefillin. Putting on tefillin is also part of the servitude of Hashem. There is a benefit. You feel good. You go to synagogue. You pray with other people. Most of the mitzvot, there is an intrinsic benefit in it that you can see, that you can, feel, that you can feel. But a fast like today, the objective-minded, the rational-minded, have a unanimous opinion here for once. It doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. Why would Akadosh Baruch Hu allow the sages to institute a fast where it's going to cause me to work less because I can't eat, I can't function, I can't drink my coffee, uh, automatically I'm all distraught. Learn less, do less. For what? What is Hashem saving money on food? What benefit does Hashem get in me fasting? Now, if you say, yeah, but Yom Kippur is fast, different. Why? Yom Kippur, you fast, and you're not going to get a benefit out of it. Why? It's part of your tshuva. Your sins are going to be are going to be uh, erased as a result of your fast, assuming you've done tshuva also. Because if you didn't do tshuva and, you're, and you fasted, it's only a diet. But if you did tshuva and fasted, that fast has an intrinsic benefit you can feel, you can see. So the fast of Yom Kippur makes all the sense in the world. But a fast like Tent of Tevet, what benefit do you get out of it? You're going to work less, you're going to do less, you're going to learn less, you're going to feel less. If anything, is going to get you angry. If anything, is going to get you to lose your mind. So why is this a greater chesed for those that have eyes to see? Because Rabbi Tayyikarim, at times of difficulty is when a person sees who they really are. The moment of truth, a person sees who they really are and where are the weak links in their chain. When they see that the, the, the one second, the one second that they didn't get their coffee on time, all of a sudden, they don't know what to do. They want to go back to sleep. All of a sudden, they're not really sure how to continue with the day. Now, we're not talking about a fast of a week. Like some of the sages used to do. Rav Kuli, the uh, Baal Ma'am Loez, used to fast from Shabbat to Shabbat. The, the, the Baba Sali used to fast for a week. Shabbat to Shabbat. We're not talking about that kind of fast. In fact, we're not even talking about a fast that was like Yom Kippur, Tisha B'Av. 25-hour fast. We're not even talking about that fast. We're not even talking about the fasts like we have later on in the year where really you're fasting from the morning until evening, but the evening is like 8 p.m. So you're fasting for a good 15, 16 hours, well over half the day. No, we're not even talking about that. We're talking about the shortest fast of the year. A fast that's not even half the day. A fast that started in most places around 5 o'clock in the morning, 5.30 in the morning, and ended at 
Five o'clock at night. Give or take different places, different times. Literally a fast that's less than half the day. And in fact, when you calculate most people's sleep, it's even less than that because most people don't wake up at five o'clock in the morning. Most people wake up later. Wake up at eight, wake up at nine, depending on who and what you are. Which really means that in reality, perhaps you fasted for maybe, maybe felt it for eight hours. But the difficulty that a person had to endure during this fast determines whether they got the point or not. Why? Because if you did some self, some self-observation, some introspection, and you noticed that the second you didn't get your coffee, not for two days, not for a week, but for literally a delay of eight hours, your coffee was delayed for eight hours. Your bottle of water was delayed by eight hours. Your lunch was delayed by a few hours. That's it. You didn't really fast for weeks or days or even a day. Simply, you're stuck on a, on a highway somewhere, on long traffic, and you couldn't eat for five, six, seven, eight, nine hours. It's not even a big deal. If you do it tomorrow intentionally, it won't even bother you. But today it did. Today it did. And that's a lesson learned. Why? It shows us how glued we are to materialism. How glued we are to serving ourselves. How glued we are to convenience. And having all of the benefits that HaKadosh Baruch Hu provides us at will. You wake up, you know you're going to have a coffee or a tea or whatever it is that you drink. You think of something to eat you simply open the fridge or make a phone call or whatever your your uh, your decision is and you have food in front of you within minutes in fact some of us will even have multiple meals by the time the afternoon already arrived lunch is just another meal but not really a uh, a, a special meal but the second all of this was delayed a person loses their mind i can't function rabbi can i break the fast why I don't know i'm hungry okay everybody's hungry no no but i think that i think it's better for me to do other things rabbi i think i think i don't think hashem wants me to suffer so much this is only rabbinical anyway rabbi if you have serious health conditions then yes this is perhaps one of the most lenient fasts but it also shows that you have weaknesses that uh if you are simply using them as an excuse you're making up excuses because in reality, today was a fantastic day that I learned about some of my own weaknesses. How dependent I am about certain things happening at certain times. And I realized I have a lot of work to do. I have a lot of work to do. I benefit so much in all of the pleasures that HaKadosh Baruch Hu provides in this world. On time. Simply on demand. Do I serve him the same way? Do you serve him the same way that he is in essence serving us? A person that analyzes and introspects what has happened over the last 15 hours will quickly realize we have work to do. But the main work is on Yerat why? 
Because this is a fast that doesn't make any sense. This is a fast that there is no benefit that you can feel. Unless you're looking to introspect. Unless you're looking to get closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And you realize, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you got me. I didn't realize how dependent I was on drinking a bottle of water. I didn't realize how dependent I was on having a cup of coffee. I didn't realize that not having something to eat within the first couple of hours of waking up, I didn't realize how much of a big deal that is. When I made the blessings yesterday and the day before of shakol or mezonot or morzi, I just said, thank you, Hashem, for giving me the food. Like, what's the big deal? Okay, so you gave me the food. Thank you. But today I realized when I didn't bless, and I had nothing to bless because I couldn't eat, I didn't realize, wow, sure missed that blessing. A person needs to introspect. A person needs to do some cheshbon nefesh, self-accounting. And realize that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us so much. And yet, when we are commanded to fear Him, we look like we have 15 heads. Confused. Why should I fear Him? Isn't He my Father? You fool. That same Father also told you not to eat today. And the only valid reason that you had not to eat today because your Abba in Shamaim said, don't eat. If somebody asked you, are you eating today? Are you fasting today? No, I'm not eating today. Why aren't you eating today? If your answer was, it's the tent of Tevet, you're a liar. Why? You don't even understand what tent of Tevet is. Yeah, but I heard the stories and I even read something. But you connect to it. You connect to those events that are even written in the Tanakh? No. So why'd you fast? I'm a Jew. So what? There's a lot of Jews that don't fast, don't even keep Shabbat. Why'd you fast? Most people don't have an answer. To be quite frank with you, I myself question myself whether I had the answer or I didn't have the answer at the moment of truth. Why? Because you think about it and you say, you know what? There's only one reason why I fasted. There's only one reason why I fasted. And that reason is my Abba in Shemaim, my King of Kings, said no. That's why I fast. There's no other reason. There's no other reason that makes sense. There's no other reason that I can connect to 100%. And someone will say, so what if he said so? Ah. If you say so what, if he said so, that means that you have no idea who my Abba is. When I even think of my Abba, I'm afraid to the point of nearly dying. So, if a person is doing a mitzvah, and they're not so sure why they're doing this mitzvah, perhaps they should ask themselves, why are you doing any mitzvah? If you're doing those mitzvot because you benefit out of them, who are you serving? If you're learning Torah because you like it, if you're keeping Shabbat because it's a day off, if you're doing anything that Hashem said to do because you're enjoying it, you have tshuva to do. 
Why? Because there will come a time where Hashem is going to give you a mitzvah that you're not going to like. And the Satan is going to give you all of the rational reasons to violate that mitzvah, to desecrate that mitzvah, to minimize that mitzvah. That's where Yirat Shemaim comes. The situation in the world does not make sense. On one end, you have people telling us that there's something that could potentially annihilate the whole world. On another end, they're telling us that there are people that are providing a cure also trying to annihilate the whole world. Nothing makes any sense. The government that leads us is working against us. The people that were friends are outright enemies. The prices of everything have skyrocketed even though in reality there's no valid reason for it. There are all types of things that don't make any sense. And we are put in a position where the only thing that we have to rely on is our Father in Heaven. And those of us that are going to wait for the outright crisis to take the next step, where there's literally going to be blood on the streets, are waiting too long. You see, Rabotai Karim, when you have Yirat Shemaim, you've already gifted yourself the greatest gift in the world. You already have a cheat code to the game of life. Because that Yirat Shemaim will always lead you to the right decision. If a person is speaking against righteous people, calling big rabbis bad names, even disagreeing with big rabbis publicly, because their opinion on something that's not really an halachic issue, something that you could simply throw a coin and make the right choice. Such a person testifies by their actions that they have no fear of God whatsoever. And all of their Torah and all of their mitzvot and all of their actions are simply self-serving. They're not serving Hashem. They're serving themselves. This is why the Gaumi Vilna warned his family, warned us, that this Yirat Shemaim is a necessity, and you're going to know whether you have it or not when you're able to make decisions that contradict your predisposition, contradict what you feel deep inside. Like some woman that left me a message. I need to know I, tr- I can trust you. You have to understand, you need to call me back. Mashiach is inside my belly, and I need to tell you. Now this woman really believes the nonsense craziness that's in our head. She believes it. There's no doubt in my mind that she believes this craziness. But that's only because she has no Yerat because had she had Yirat Shemaim, had she had fear of the, of the Almighty, she would never dare spew such stupidity out of her mouth. Because she would know that the Torah itself is what determines who and what is Mashiach. Mashiach cannot be somebody that you already know he is before he's born. Mashiach is selected by a Kadosh Baruch Hu alone based on the rules that are in the Torah. And then validated by the sages that Hashem institutes into the world. All of the greatest sages of the generation have to agree, this is Mashiach, not you, Mami. But unfortunately, Rabotai, 
when the understanding of the significance of having fear of the Almighty is literally not nowhere to be found. How do you expect people not to think they're Mashiach? How do you expect people not to think that they're the greatest? How do you expect people not to agree with so many heretics? How do you expect people not to fall for the constant traps of the Satan that sometimes has a beard and sometimes does not? The Gaumi Vilna warned us to let us know that you have to continuously cling to Musal because Musal is what's going to force you to reflect on your own behavior on a daily basis. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you are new or you are old, whether you are a Talmit Chacham or a complete ignoramus, whether you are Jew or Gentile, you must learn Musar every single day. But the type of Musar that's going to force you to reflect and see if you're full of garbage or not. If you're not learning Musar, you will never be anything remotely close to righteous. Because even Rabbi Yosef Karo, the Baal Shulchan Aruch, one of the greatest sages that lived in the last 500 years and ever, wrote on himself in his Magid Mesharim Sefer, in his conversations with the angel that was his Chavruta, that he got rebuked for only learning a couple of hours Musar in one day, and not three hours. If he needed to learn three hours of Musar a day, we need to learn 50 hours a day. But the reality is, Rabotai, is that many times you see people start getting ignited because they've learned Musal, and then after a little time passes, feel like they're over it. They're done with it. They've already done Shuvah. They're already up to other things, bigger things. No, Rabbi, listen, you helped us do Shuvah, but we already are at a different level. We, uh, well, we're learning only Allah now. We're only Chasidut now. We're only Ta, only this, only that. And you see these people go down straight into Gehenom with their delusions. Why? Without Musal, you will never have Yirat Shemaim. You'll never have fear of heaven. And without fear of heaven, you won't even know whether you're serving Hashem or serving yourself. You could simply live a deluded life your whole life. Now, of course, you can't just learn Musal, as we learned from the Chazonish in our series over there. You have to learn Allah also, and you have to learn Musal. But unfortunately, many people delude themselves to think that they can do without Musar. I'll learn six hours, seven hours, eight hours, and out of that seven, eight hours, I'll put in like 15 minutes of Musar a day. Now, if you are, I don't know, Rav Kanievsky, perhaps you can allow yourself such a, a leniency. But if you are an average person like me, if you're somebody that's just trying to be, good that kind of time is not going to be enough and unfortunately many people delude themselves to think that they don't need to learn Musal and that's why they make so many bad decisions it seems like they cannot make a good decision speaking against great tzaddikim speaking against Hashem speaking against everything that they're supposed to speak for and the Gaumi Vilna warned us, warned us time and time again, because this type of behavior leads to horrible things. Leads to Lashonara, 
leads to all types of horrible behaviors that we simply do not understand the magnitude of these crimes he continues and says since the person already learned that there is no reason to envy other people and the only thing that will come out of women going to synagogue is envying and being jealous of other people and a person whether male or female should be very very conscious of that and very careful of envy very careful of jealousy because it's a overall horrific character traits that can destroy families businesses and even eternity a person cannot envy anything that's material why because they're simply showing that they don't understand why Hashem even created them in the first place the Gaumi Vilna says envy only the fear of Hashem of others she shouldn't say how can I learn how can I earn a share in the world to come I can't do it for we have learned in the Gemara one may do much or one may do little provided that he directs his heart to heaven so the cryptic few lines that we have here have to be deciphered because first he tells us that we are allowed to envy after telling us we're not allowed to envy then he tells us that a person shouldn't think that they can't do because even if you do a little it could be good enough so we have to decipher it we have to analyze it and understand clearly what the Gaon is saying here the sages teach us that envy in general is a horrible thing the Gemara in Masechet Baba Batra, page 21b, says that jealousy is a horrible thing, but there is an exception when someone has jealousy of a person that's a Tamit Chacham, a Torah scholar. But jealousy by itself, being jealous of somebody's clothes, being jealous of somebody's financial status, being jealous of somebody's job, spouse, anything else. It's a horrible evil thing so much so that Shlomo Amelech the wisest man of all writes in Mishle multiple times in chapter 14 verse 30 he says envy brings the rotting of the bones and the Mishnah Masechet Avot chapter 4 Mishnah number 21 teaches that envy is one of the character flaws that takes a person out of this world it leads a person to actions that simply remove him from heaven forever the sages also teaches that a person that is jealous with the typical evil jealousy will not be resurrected with the dead even if they observe shabbat and they do a lot of other mitzvot they will not be resurrected with the dead because that envy that jealousy is unfortunately a at the very least the dust the dust of heresy why because when we're jealous of somebody else that means that we're telling Hashem that we were supposed to get it not them now the Gemara tells us in Masechet Baobatra again that in the name of Rav Huna 
that if a person opens a business and somebody else wants to open up a business right next to him the Torah will allow him to stop that person from opening the business next to him but if somebody is has a yeshiva has a bit knesset has a synagogue has a a uh, kolel and he's worked on it for the last 5 10 20 30 years he put his entire livelihood into it entire blood sweat and tears into it and somebody comes into town and wants to open another synagogue another kolel another yeshiva right next door to him meaning that naturally some of the students that he has he's going to lose to this new guy even if it's just based on interest Torah says he has no permission to get in his way because the Torah protects such a person why because him opening another place of Torah will lead to kinat sofrim the jealousy between scholars and the jealousy between scholars increases wisdom because each teacher each rabbi will end up being fearful of his rival rabbi and thereby perform his role with extra care and increase Torah in the world so this illustrates that there is an allowance for jealousy in a Torah when it has to do with Torah where even though we're mandated to protect another person's ability to learn to earn a livelihood we cannot get in the way of somebody else making a living it's permitted to negatively impact another person's livelihood for the benefit of a higher level of Torah study that may come as about as a result of this jealousy now the Chazonish which we went over in that series in the Sefer in Munav Bitachon, says that once the Alakha determined that it's permitted to establish a second teacher a second yeshiva a second bet knesset in close proximity to the first one so that their competitive spirit will increase the torah study that jealousy that will happen as a result of it is not something that we view as oh we'll tolerate this jealousy because it's going to increase torah no chazoni says that jealousy between those two schools between those two rabbis it's actually the ideal it's the optimal jealousy it's a mitzvah to have such jealousy so much so that the Sefer Haridim says that it's a positive rabbinic commandment to envy people who fear Hashem wishing to be like they are as the Pasuk in uh, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 17 says, Let your heart not envy the sinners, rather envy those who fear Hashem always. So here we see that there's fear of Hashem is something we need to be jealous of. If there's more Torah in the world, that means there's going to be more fear of Hashem in the world. And therefore, the jealousy the jealousy between those schools that's the ideal why because he's jealous of the guy that has a fancier building and more students 
And he's jealous of the guy because his students respect him more. And he's jealous of, the, of both of them because they both have a bigger budget. And he's jealous of all three of them because they have better staff. And he's jealous of all of them because they have more public support by other rabbis. What's going to end up happening is that all of those rabbis are going to end up working on themselves and working on their students to become the better one because they want the bigger prize, because they want more success. That type of jealousy is not tolerated, but rather it's optimal. It's an optimal jealousy because that jealousy will lead to more Torah and thereby lead to more fear of the Almighty. And since it's a mitzvah to be jealous of somebody that has more fear of the Almighty than we do, needless to say, it's a mitzvah to support the place that's promoting fear of the Almighty. And the Sefer Ochot Sadikim in Sha'akina writes that in regards to the envy of scholars, when someone sees that another person is learning more Torah on a consistent basis, envy will naturally fill their heart. And he will then say to himself, if he's learning all day, I'll do the same. And so it is true regarding all of the mitzvot. Each person should be jealous of his friend to adopt his friend's positive deeds. And there's a story about Rav Avadya. Allah shalom. When Rav Avadya was, he told this story to his son, Rav David Yosef. When Rav David Yosef asked, asked him, when did you know the shas as well as you do and know it by heart and everything? Ravadi told him, when I was 16 years old, I already knew a lot of Torah. Because already at the age of nine, he already finished Masechtot and knew a few uh, uh, Masechtot and the Mishnah by heart. He knew an enormous amount of Torah. So at 16 years old, surely he's already completed the Shas and he knew a lot. But I found out there's an Ashkenazi boy. It was my age. And he already knew half the Shas Bavli. By heart so even though little Vadya knew a lot of Torah regardless of whether for his age or other ages when he heard that somebody else knows half the shas by heart he says it got me jealous and I said if he can do it I can do it and by the time I was 20 years old I knew the entire shas by heart anybody who's learned the shas who's learned the talmud go and try memorizing one daf by heart one daf and you'll understand the magnitude of the story i just said but a person that has torah has yirat shamayim has the ability to use jealousy in a favorable way in such a favorable way that it's actually a mitzvah for them to be jealous of another scholar because that jealousy creates a spiritual fire that makes them serve the Almighty even better. But unfortunately, the Sefer Ochot Sadikim also says that it's conceivable that one may end up becoming jealous of another person who's busy in Torah and good deeds 
But he's jealous of him for the wrong reasons. He's not jealous of him because he knows more Torah. He's not jealous of him because he's doing more mitzvot. He's jealous of him because of how other people view him. And they give him so much honor. Oh, why does everybody call him rabbi? Ah, why does everybody stand up as soon as he comes in? Who does he think he is? Oh, look at that. He has so many people around him. He has an entourage. Like, who is he? I remember him from high school. And they're bothered. They're bothered by the fact that this rabbi is getting so much honor, so much kavod, so much donation, so much popularity. Yeah, but what about the fact that he's righteous? What about the fact that he's Tomit Chacham? What about the fact that he has endless amount of Torah sources to support everything that he says? Yeah, whatever, but I don't know if he deserves it. Maybe somebody else deserves it. Maybe he should calm down. In reality, that person has jealousy. But he's not jealous of the Torah. He's not jealous of the good deeds. He's jealous of the honor that those, that Torah and the good deeds create in the world. And the Sefer Al-Chot Sadiqim says that instead of resolving to adopt those traits himself and start learning more Torah, start doing more mitzvot and becoming a better person, that person ends up downplaying all of the Torah that that person knows, undermining all of their achievements because they don't have the same. What? You said he knows a lot of Torah? No, no, no. I don't think he knows a lot of Torah. I think he copies from somebody else. Look, look, look. He's reading what he's saying. So he doesn't know. I can read also. Oh, wow. What does he do? A shiur? Anybody can do a shiur today. Anybody with a camera can do a shiur today. Okay, how come you don't do it? No, I don't have time. I have a job. I have this. I have that. But I can do the same thing. Oh, he said a chidush. What's the chidush? Oh, he said ABC. No, no, I heard that before. It's not his chidush. I heard that before. It's not his chidush. I heard it before. If you go to that chidush that I brought to light last week, you'll see a comment like that. You'll see some guy. I don't know who he is. Nor do I want to know who he is. But some guy embarrassed himself. And wrote, he felt the need to write. This is not your chidush. I heard it in a lecture 15 years ago. Whether he did or he didn't, I don't know. But whether he has Yirat Shemaim or not, that I do know. Whether he's a Talmit Chacham or not, that I do know. And the answer to both of them is no. Why? The reality is, when a person has Yirat Shemaim, he loves to. He loves mitzvot. And he loves those that fulfill them too. But a person loves themselves. He despises when anybody else has something that they don't. And this, unfortunately, is a difficulty that anyone that succeeded in the world of Torah had to deal with. From the top of the top of Moshe Rabbeinu, to the Rambam, to Rabbi Akiva, to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, to Rav Ovadia, to anyone you want to mention. Every single one of them on their path to success and bringing light to the nations 
had to deal with the trail of wicked people telling them you're not all that you don't know what you're talking about you this and you're that Ravadya writes constantly in his Farim, in the preface of his Farim, pleading with Hashem, please protect me from all of these evil people that are trying to destroy my Torah, saying negative things about me. He goes to Lent to mention it in practically all of his Farim. Please protect me from these wicked people that are lying to people and doing this and doing that, all of the enemies that he had. Now, if we look at from things from our perspective, how could the Gdolado, the biggest rabbi in the world, that literally built Judaism in such a capacity no one else in the world has done in recent history? When Ravadia was in Eretz Israel at the founding of, 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 of modern day Israel, there were 400 people in the entire country that were learning Torah on a regular basis. 400 people. Today, Ishtabach Shimolaad. You have over a hundred thousand people that are just Avrahim and Kolel. Needless to say, all the yeshivot and so on. And the Ravadia work day and night to go and build more and help more yeshivot get built. Ashkenazi, Sfaradi, wherever it is. If it's Torah, I'm for it. You would take paperwork from different places. To sign people up to their schools, not asking for a single penny. He built Judaism for everybody in Eretz Yisrael. But all the while he did that, and he wrote books, and he gave endless amount of lectures, there were still countless people that tried to destroy him. When he was just 17 years old, and he published his book, his first book, that was uh, went to the uh, uh, went to light and became something that uh, brought the uh, light to the world he wrote in there a 17 year old young man i know i'm destined to do big things in the world some of the other religious people rabbis hated this statement he said what an arrogant person who does he think he is this 17 year old punk who does he think he has to say such a thing? They're already in the world. They went to different rabbis to get signatures to put him on cherem. Nobody buys book. Burn the book. Don't accept it. Got a bunch of signatures from all types of wicked people. Nobody gadol. Then they went to one of the gadoleado. And he said to them, what are you trying to do? Put a net over the sun after it already rose. He's out there. And there's nothing you can do to stop him. He's the next Gdolado. As a 17-year-old boy, they already knew what, what they're dealing with. But needless to say, even after he had acceptance by the biggest Gdolim in the world, Though much senior to him, bigger than him, and, 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 and Torah at the time, and older than him, still there were countless wicked people that went against him and everything that he said. And it was no different for the Rambam, who had some of the big rabbis of his generation burn his books in public. 
and many of the other sages had to suffer from the evil jealousy of others most of the time it wasn't a healthy jealousy that's between scholars but a jealousy that's unhealthy between people that envy for the wrong reason they don't envy the torah that they know they envy the honor that they're getting and unfortunately Rabotai, such people are paskined as evil people and Sadikim says that such jealousy the jealousy of the honor that a chacham has the jealousy of the attention that a chacham has is an evil sword of envy and thereby making that person a wicked person who causes other to sin meaning that person is then decreed as a machti arabim someone that causes others to sin which if you look at the rambam in chotshuva there's pretty much no worse condition than to be somebody that's a machti arabim someone that causes others to sin there's practically no worse place in the world no worse status in the world to be than someone that causes others to sin even an idol worshiper if he's an idol worshiper by himself he's not worse than someone that causes others to sin even if that person that causes others to sin believes in God he's in worse condition than an idol worshiper now the Imre Chaim explained that there is good envy and there is evil envy how do we know the difference he says we're all familiar with how the communists equated so social standing of all of their citizens where the rich and poor were suddenly equal and no one could marshal more assets than another this was a product of evil an evil that came from envy as it's clearly seen from the fact that the end result was that no one had anything of value but when envy is born of good intentions and a desire to emulate another person's success then you'll find that this type of envy will enjoy the fruit of wealth together when you see people preaching equality social standings equality everybody should have the same amount of money everybody should be viewed the same way men and women should be the same place rich and poor should be in the same place all people should be in the same place the rabbi and the student be in the same place a person in god same place everything same all of those people are evil why because their whole communist mentality the root of it is envy of the people that are better than them the people that envy in a positive way enjoy when they see that that person they envy succeeds even more and that somebody else that followed that person that they envy also succeeded and that everybody succeeded following what this person is doing they're happy even if they themselves did not succeed because they know that this is good that's why they envy it so of course they want more people to do it 
even if they themselves don't that's a good envy but that's not not found anywhere outside of the Torah world why is it not found anywhere in the Torah world the Rabbi Meir Chadash the Mashkiach of Hebron clarified on this by cautioning that a person has to be very careful in regards to envy even if that envy is the envy of scholars why because in order to use that tool a person himself has to be a scholar in order to know how to derive success from the kinat sofrim the envy of scholars a person has to already be a lofty individual himself generous of spirit and with a loving heart only such a person will be able to transform a degenerative nature of envy into a force that can allow him to soar in his quest for higher levels of torah and fear of heaven in so many words Rabbi Meichadas says that the only time a person really knows how to use this kinat sofrim, this jealousy of scholars, in a the right way, and it's not a jealousy that's unhealthy, is if he himself is already a scholar. He himself has already perfected some of his character traits, especially the traits of being grateful, the traits of not having ainara, the traits of jealousy and most importantly the trait of fear of heaven because he knows that ultimately the more that there is Torah in the world the more that there is fear of heaven in the world and his jealousy is the fact that this person due to his higher scholarship higher public uh, 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 popularity of his scholarship therefore he himself has more fear of heaven and is breeding more other people that have fear of heaven this is great so this is a person that wants more of this in the world because he knows what it means unfortunately Rabutai, most people that are jealous are jealous of popularity are jealous of money are jealous of social standings and that is an unhealthy jealousy and many times you see young people reach different rabbis and say I want to be a speaker I want to be just like you I want to be just like rabbi such and such now if you're an experienced speaker if you're an experienced rabbi if you know a few words of Torah you don't bother delving into it why because you know that this person is not aspiring to be a rabbi or a speaker or a leader for the right reasons not because they're an evil person but because they don't even know what it means yet they don't know enough Torah yet to know what it means to be a leader in a Torah world they don't know enough Torah in order to know what it means to acquire a lot of Torah they don't know what it means to perfect certain character traits in order to want that in their life so why do they want to be the speaker? Why do they want to be the Rosh Yeshiva? Why do they want to be this Gdolado? Because they like what it comes with. Everybody says, if you're Sephardi, they kiss your hand. Everybody stands up when you come in. They give you all types of compliments. 
כבוד הרב, הרב הגאון, גדול הדור, קדוש, עוד חכם, עוד טייפס אוף אינטרסטינג דסקריפשנס, אינד אדג'טיבס טו יור נאם אדד. אם הפרסון באמת הוא חכם, הוא שריבלס אפ אינטו אנותינג, אז הוא גאה את זה קומפלימנטס, כי הוא לא יכול לסטנד. Because he knows he's really not anywhere near what these people are saying. But nonetheless, the people that want to be in his shoes, they don't want to be in his shoes because they want the suffering that he endured to get to where he is. They don't want to be in his shoes because they want to have all of what it comes with. They simply want a disc to be inserted into their brain and automatically they become somebody else. Because they want what that somebody else has. That is not a healthy jealousy. But you're not going to go back and forth with people explaining to them that them aspiring to be like you is unhealthy. Why? Let them aspire. Let them want to be. Perhaps they may actually learn what it really means and they may actually still want it. And that's good. If you think about being gdol adol, Every single day and you do what it takes to become the Gdol Adol every single day you may very well become the Gdol Adol. But if you just want it today but as soon as it's not convenient for you as soon as it's hard for you as soon as it doesn't meet your level of uh, appreciation As soon as you get some rejection, as soon as you get some insults, as soon as a few people get in your way, immediately you're like, "Ah, maybe I should try something else." Perhaps you never really knew what you wanted in the first place. But either way, you want people to aspire to do big things. But is it good for them, really? Only if they continue aspiring. To be that big after they realize what they're even aspiring to be but in the beginning generally speaking it's not coming from a good place because they don't understand what they want they just want what it comes with someone would tell me listen rabbi I want to be I want to be a Dayan I want to be a, a Posek I want to be a Rosh Hashiva okay fine there's other shame you'll be well how quickly can I do it five six years if I study every day is it can I do it no oh wow Okay, so maybe I should go work with my dad. What? What do you mean? How do you go from wanting to be a Rosh Yeshiva ahead of five, six hundred boys that's going to teach them how to be the greatest people on the planet to saying, no, you know what? Maybe I'll go work with my dad in a construction company. Like, how did you just go from this end to that end? Because the reality is you never really wanted to be a Rosh Yeshiva. You wanted the kavod of the Rosh Yeshiva. You wanted the honor of the Rosh The respect of the Rosh Yeshiva that's not a good thing that's not a good uh, it's not a good path to be in and guess what it also is the same thing in the business world many times people will come to me and interview them or people that work for me and countless times people tell me I want to be like you I said okay fine Hashem, you, you know you'll be like me one day okay you'll make more than me try to be more than me I'm not one of those people that was afraid of competition I like competition I wanted people to be better. I trained them to be better. I spent my life to help people become better. But unfortunately, the vast majority of people couldn't cut it. Why? Once they understood what it takes, 
They couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Why? They want to be with their girlfriend. They want to go to the concert. They want to go enjoy the money that they already made. Yeah, but didn't you say in the interview that you want to make $5 million a year like me? Yeah, yeah, but listen, I made 500000 That's still good. Yeah, but you said $5 million, though. Yeah, I know I said $5 million. I want to make the $5 million, but I also want to go to the concert. I want to make the $5 million, but I also want to go to clubs. I want to make the $5 million, but I also want to maintain 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 relationships. I want to make the $5 million, but I also want to have fun. Ah, so guess what? You'll never make the $5 million. You'll never make the $5 million. You'll never make the $5 million. You're probably not even going to make a million. In fact, even the 500000 that you have is in jeopardy and most likely will cease to exist at some point. Why? You don't have what it takes. And they'll get disappointed. And they'll think that I'm cursing them. But simply just telling them that this type of attitude is unstable. You want something and then you don't want it. That means that you never really wanted the right thing. But the people that want to succeed, when they see other people succeed, it doesn't breed evil in them. They see opportunity. There are certain people in the world that think that whenever somebody else makes money, that is money that they should have gotten. Those people, generally speaking, are misers, miserable people, most of the time will never succeed. And if they do, God help all of those people that are around them and how much they're going to torture them. Because a person that thinks that the world is limited also creates an environment of limitations and authoritative type of mentality, very, very unhealthy. Then there are certain people that they want to have everything that they don't, but they're not willing to do anything about it. Unfortunately, there are many of those types of people. They're very lazy, delusional people that every day they have a new dream, a new idea. I want to learn all the languages. Okay, go learn all the languages. I want to be the biggest rabbi in the world. Okay, go be the biggest rabbi in the world. I want to be a big stockbroker. Okay, go be a big stockbroker. I want to, I want to, I want to. So what are you doing about it? Nothing. There's a lot of people like that. Those are very, very sick people. You should pray for them. But nonetheless, where does that all come from? Envy. They saw somebody that has a lot of money. They saw somebody that knows a lot of languages. They saw somebody that has whatever it is that they aspire for this week. And they want to have it. Not because they want the knowledge or whatever it is that this person possesses, but rather they want everything that comes with it. They want somebody to insert a disc into their mind or do some type of hocus pocus and transform their life into somebody else. These types of people have watched well too many movies and believe that the movie is real. They're cheering for one of the characters in the movie as if that's going to change something. These are very sick people and there's quite a few of them. Quite a few of them. Now, Abutai, the type of Envy, that is a healthy envy, breeds extraordinary leaders that see opportunity everywhere. But at the same token, see 
the risk of losing an opportunity everywhere. When one of the Rosh Hashivas came to one of the Gedolei Adol in the previous generation, Rav Yudha Tzadka, and he said to him, Kvod Rav, I want to get permission from you to throw out this young boy from my yeshiva. Why? Oh, he's not fit. He's not learning. He makes fun. He jokes around. He's late all the time. Of you that Tzadka listened to this whole story, of course, these Rosh Hashivas that wanna, are on a mission to throw out kids, they always have a fluid knowledge of all the evil things that these young kids did. Same goes with these heads of seminaries, that they know all of the evil things that the young girls did to justify throwing them out. You ask them, what did they do? They'll tell you everything as if it happened right in front of them yesterday. But then Arav Yudat Sadka asks this Rosh Yeshiva, what's the boy's mother's name? And the Rosh Yeshiva says to him, I don't know. Arav Yudat Sadka, his face changes and he looks at the Rosh Yeshiva and he says, Atalomit Bayesh? You're not ashamed of yourself? The Rosh Yeshiva is dumbfounded. Why? Why should I be ashamed of myself? He's a bad kid. What? That I don't know his mother's name? What difference does it make? What do I care about his mother's name? Arav Yudat Sadka says to this Rosh Yeshiva who thinks he's better than his student. If you don't know this little boy's mother's name, that also means you never prayed for him. Because in a Jewish religion, when we pray for people, we pray for them based on their mother's name. This is David ben Nasriya. This is Oshri ben Doris. This is such and such ben someone. You always call them by the mother's name. The first person's name, the first name, son of or daughter of and their mother's name if you don't know this boy's mother's name that means you never prayed for him and you still have the audacity to want to throw him out do you know what i do with my boys in my yeshiva as soon as they do anything that i see is not a right fit for my yeshiva of course Everybody's boys cause trouble. Everybody's young girls cause trouble. If they don't cause any trouble, you should check if they're okay because that's what kids do. In fact, the Stipler Gaon said that everyone thought that the Rav Kanievsky's son, that's currently the Gdoladol, initially they thought there's something wrong with him mentally. Why? He was too good of a boy. In the beginning, he was too good of a boy. So the first time he caused trouble, the Stipler Gaon said, Ah, Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem, he's okay. He's okay. A kid that doesn't cause trouble, there's something wrong. I'm not saying advocate and have them and, and help them cause trouble, but it's normal. If your boys in your yeshiva and if your girls in your seminary causing trouble, your job is not to throw them out, Mr. Rosh Yeshiva, Mrs. Head of uh, Rabbanit. No, your job is to pray for them. Rav Yudat Satka says to this Rosh Yeshiva, I pray for them and I pray for them and I pray for them. And guess what? I never once had to throw out 
a single boy from my yeshiva. Because in Shemaim they heard my prayers and they ended up opening each and every single boy's heart and eventually they became good boys. When someone has Torah and Yirat Shemaim, they understand the value of every single person that's trying to acquire that Torah and Yirat Shemaim. When another Yosh Yeshiva came to the stipler Gaon and said to him, I want to throw out this boy out of my yeshiva for a whole slew of reasons. But most of all, he doesn't know anything. He cannot learn anything. He's like dafuk. He's like a pumpkin. Nothing is in there. Stipler Gaon says to him, send this boy to me. I want to, I want to talk to him. He brings the boy. Stipler Gaon talks, sees this young kid, 14, 15 years old, already supposed to know not only Gemara, needs to know some Mepharshim on the Gemara, needs to know some Shulchan Aruch, needs to know a lot already at that age. But the Rosh Hashiva says he doesn't know anything. The Stipler Gaon, that the entire Torah was literally like in front of him, as this boy, do you know a Mishnah? He says, yeah. He says, you know the first Mishnah in Masechet Avot? He says, yeah. He says, tell me the Mishnah. He says, Moshe kibel Torah misinai u'mesara le-Yoshua, v'Yoshua le-Skenim, u'skenim le-Nevi'im, Nevi'im l'anshek neset ha-gdola. This is good. Can you tell me what it means? And the young boy says to him, sure. Moshe Rabbeinu got the Torah at Mount Sinai. And he taught this Torah he gave the next person that took over was Yeshua Benun. He was the head to teach the people Torah. And then after that, it's the Skinim, the elders. And so on and so forth. After the stipler Gaon saw this, he calls the Rosh Yeshiva and he says to him, you should be embarrassed of yourself. Rosh Yeshiva says, what? What did I do? He says, you dare say that this Jewish boy doesn't know anything? Not only does he know a Mishnah, he knows how to un- interpret it. And you want to throw him out of the yeshiva? That day, that Rosh Yeshiva understood his job a little bit better. When the head Chacham in the world tells you that this young boy, knowing a single Mishnah, is more than enough reason to keep him inside your yeshiva, that entire report of curses that you put on him, on her, simply becomes null and void. When a person has Chochmah, he has wisdom of the Torah, he knows how to use this wisdom in the right way. What about if a person does not? What if a person does not? What if a person falls prey to his own ego, his own desires, our own misunderstanding of how to live according to what makes sense to her? She calls herself religious even though she doesn't fulfill the religious laws because they don't make sense to her. What happens if when she heard that the girl should not go to the synagogue, according to the Gaon Mivilna and many other great sages, 
she doesn't agree and she says I'm gonna go because I like to pray to God in the synagogue I want to hear the Sefer Torah yeah, but what about what the Gaon Vilna said do you know more than him the Gaon Vilna didn't know me when a person has such an attitude unfortunately this did not lead to good places why because the Gaon Vilna says that it's best she doesn't go to the synagogue because if she does it'll lead to jealousy it'll lead to this envy it won't lead to her envying people that have you at Shemaim they're almost none to be found in her section of the synagogue but needless to say it'll lead her to more danger than benefit and that danger of becoming jealous of another person is the greatest destroyer of fear of heaven there is and in fact can make her lose much more than she could ever imagine gaining simply by her wanting to do a mitzvah she'll end up losing everything as a result how the Gemara in Masechet Arachin page 16a gives a couple of examples that a person needs to really be conscious of for themselves the Gemara says that a person should be very careful complimenting complimenting his fellow too much because that compliment can lead to Lashonara how could such a good compliment okay although excessive how could it lead to Lashonara something that removes a person from the world well first and foremost a person needs to know that when it comes to Lashonara the Gemara in Masechet Arachim page 15b says in the name of uh, Rabbi Ishmael that whoever speaks Lashonara proliferates iniquities equivalent to the three cardinal sins idol worship immorality and murder in fact the tongue of the person number three kills three what does it mean a person as the, uh, the people that are involved in Lashonara are all doomed who are these three people the tongue kills the one who spoke Lashonara the one who accepts the Lashonara and the one who it's talked about why the one who is talked about because the person that says Lashonara brings a feud brings a fight between who he said Lashonara about and who the other person that's involved in and it ends up killing those people end up killing each other and surely he ends up getting the death penalty himself of course we're talking about spiritually here although there are instances where some of these things could actually be physically but the uh, Yakut Shimoni also says there could be a fourth party there could be a fourth party who was a person that could have stopped the whole thing and didn't and the Rambam says that the person that accepts the Lashonara is actually punished 
more than everybody else meaning even more than the person that spoke to the Shonara. the Shonara in its nature is true information but is not information that another person wants to hear another person uh, wants other people to know so the Gemara gives some examples of how excessive positive speech about your fellow can lead to a disaster how so the Gemara says a uh, Rav Dimi the brother of Rav Safra taught this Berita that a person should never speak excessively about his fellows good qualities out of discussion of his good qualities may come a discussion of his faults such as when a person can go and uh tell people oh look you see my friend yeah he uh just bought this nice house it's good for his family his family's growing he's making a lot of money now it's good Telling people about somebody else's success. Got a big house, got a nice car. Hashem sent them a good wife. They even have a kid already. Happy for him. And then either he or the person that's listening to him says, Yeah, but you know, you could give some more tzedakah since he has so much money. The last time the synagogue did a campaign here, he donated only $500. That's one small example. Of how a person's good compliment can lead to Lashonara, can lead to bad things. Another one is how a person can go on a mitzvah, mitzvah of chesed to do kindness to somebody. She says, she decides, you know what? My friend is sick. I'm gonna go and help her out I'm gonna go to her house I'm gonna cook for her I'm gonna clean for her I do care do mitzvah okay she goes to her house her friend is really happy she's bedridden the poor woman says thank you for coming no no don't worry everything's on me I'm gonna cook for you I'm gonna clean for you don't worry you don't need to hire nobody I'm your friend okay thank you what a best friend you are she goes to the kitchen start cooking and she notices that the pots that she had our friend has these are the expensive type of pots they're not from like forty dollars for a set of 80 pieces from walmart they're like each pot five hundred dollars a thousand bucks you know one of those pots that the rich people have Psh. And she knows the kitchen that she has wow this kitchen is nicer than a house and she notices that the towels that she's using they're not the towels that you buy them by the bulk for you know a dollar each these towels each one's 15 20 just to wipe your hands and even the natlan the little bucket that you pour the water for neti like diamond she has oh this one is from a special judaica store and look at the jewels on it this thing's at least 100 bucks 150 dollars and instead of cooking and cleaning and everything else she's calculating this and that and this and that Psh. 
Wow, Shem really blessed her. And she goes home after this chesed that she did, this kindness that she did of cooking and cleaning for her friend. And she shows up to her house. She sees her husband. She sees her kids. She sees her house. And she hates everybody. Why? She wants something that belongs to her friend. She saw what the potential is. And she doesn't have it. It literally created her in one second. Miserable. Now you could say, wait a minute, but isn't someone that a shliach mitzvah, that's a going to do a mitzvah is not going to see evil as a result, not going to get bad decrees? Yes, if they do the mitzvah the right way. If she was doing the mitzvah the right way, she wouldn't be calculating how much the pot costs. If she was doing the mitzvah the right way, she wouldn't even have time to spend, to analyze how big the kitchen is and how much it costs to build such a kitchen. If she was doing the mitzvah the right way, she wouldn't have the audacity to calculate the cost of anything. In fact, she wouldn't even pay attention to it because she'd be too focused on the mitzvah. But since she was focused on herself, we saw that the root of her mitzvah was to make herself feel better. She went to help her friend, not because she cared about her friend. She wanted to do good because it would make her feel good so she could tell other people that she did good and thereby look even better. Meaning that the root of that mitzvah was rotten because she looked at somebody else that's righteous that did the same type of mitzvah. And she admired the honor that that person got as a result of doing a similar mitzvah, not realizing that they did that mitzvah for the sake of the mitzvah. She did the mitzvah for the sake of envy and self-servitude. So the Gemara says that such a person is in serious, serious trouble. Why? Because that very same Gemara in Masechet Arachin, page 15b, in the name of Rav Chista, says, Kol ha-mesaper la-shonara, Omer ha-kadosh baruchu, L'sar shel genom, Ani alav milamala, V'ata alav milamata. Anyone who speaks la-shonara, Which surely is going to be the outcome of such a person, that goes and helps their friend, but really for themselves. She's going to tell everybody, you know, yeah, she's sick, but she's not that sick. She's not sick because if you see her house, it makes you healthy. You know, she's sick, but you know, she's also rich too. So Hashem gave, Hashem took. Let Hashem's name be blessed. She starts publicizing like eyewitness news. Everything she saw. Oh, you see how much honor her uh, husband gives her? Wish my husband gave me such an honor. See our kids? Each one of our kids is wearing a $500 suit. My husband's entire wardrobe is not $500. And she becomes eyewitness news. And the sick person, the poor lady, prefers to die now because the whole world knows her business. That envy turns to more sins. Mitzvah goreret mitzvah, avera goreret avera. One mitzvah leads to another mitzvah. One sin leads to another sin. Here we have a sin that looked like a mitzvah. And it leads to 
much more sins. And on such a person, the Gemara says, whoever speaks Lashonara, the Holy One, blessed is he, says to the ministering angel of Geenom, I am focused on him from above, and you are focused on him from below. Let us judge him together. So here we see that a Kadosh Baruch has a special punishment for people that say Lashonara. Needless to say, people that have the rest of the things we talked about. Why is Hashem asking for help, if you will? He's not asking for help. In essence, you see here that Hashem says there's two judgments in this world and in the upper world. Now the Gemara interprets the verses. How do we get this? How do we get there? And shows us how the sages arrive at their conclusions. It's not out of their thin mind. Every single word has to be explained. First and foremost, says the source of this is Psalms 120, verse number 4. As it says, The sharp arrows of the mighty with coals of rosen wood. So the sages say the arrow that's in that verse is referring to none other than the tongue. Speaking Lashonara. When a tongue is speaking Lashonara, it's equivalent to an arrow that can kill. How do we know this? Maybe it's just a uh, nice analogy, but it has no basis. No, we have a proof. Prophet Jeremiah, chapter 9, verse 7. And also in verse number 3, talks about it, where it says, It says that their tongue is a sharpened arrow. It speaks deceit. So we see that from here, the Jeremiah teaches us that the uh, tongue is, re- is referred to as a arrow. Lashonara. Then, what about, how do we know that it's a share? This, this verse in Psalms that talks about that the, uh, the sharp arrow of the mighty will, uh, with coals of rose and wood, how do we know that this verse is referring to Hashem's deal with the ministering angel of Geenom to punish a person that says Lashonara? Because we know that the gibol that it's referring to in this verse is referring to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. How do we know? We have a verse. Hashem gibol yotze. It says in the, um, in the prophet Isaiah chapter 42 verse 13 that Hashem will go forth like a mighty warrior, like a mighty gibol. So we know that when it says gibol in the Torah, it's referring to Hashem. Okay, fine. So we have Lashonara. We have Hashem. Fine, but how do we know it's referring to Genom? How do we know it's referring to Genom? It doesn't say the word Genom. It says Gechalera Tamim. Gechalera Tamim is hot coals. How do we know that this is a uh, Genom itself? Because a lot of people say there's no Genom. The word Genom is not in the Torah. In fact, there are seven different names that we know of that are directly referring to Genom. Sheol, Tachtit Aretz, Pitite Aven, and so on. But there's also references to Genom that are similar to what we're talking about, which is referring to it by what's in it. Here it's referring to the Gechalera Tamim. So how do we know the Gechalera Tamim is referring to Genom? Where Rosen, Rosen Coles is a reference to Genom. It's a reference to Genom. And we learned that from the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat. 
page 37b. And thus, when it comes to sharp arrows of the speaker of Lashon Ara, the mighty one nets together with the ministering angel of Genom, the location, the, uh, the, the person that is speaking Lashon Ara. So, the Tana Deve Eliyahu, Eliyahu Navi, and Eliyahu Rabbah, chapter 18, elaborates on this point in the Gemara even further. And explains why is this their agreement even between Hashem and the uh, the Sar of Genom. And he says, Eliyahu Navi says, that Lashonara of wicked people reaches until the throne of glory. And in response, Akadosh Baruch commands the angels to descend. The angels go to this person that speaks Lashon and take their neshama to Genom at that time. Meaning the person goes to sleep instead of going up to Shemaim and getting judgment the way, uh, and uh, getting reporting what they're doing, they're in essence taking their neshama to Genom already. Now once the person go, gets that, that neshama goes to Genom, while they're still in this world, Genom cries, Saying before HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because he sees this person's sin of Lashon Hara, Genom cries to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, saying, Master of the Universe, I don't have the ability to exact from them the punishment that they deserve. Why? They're still in the world. They're still in the world. I can't really punish them right now. This is just taunting me. This person deserves to be inside me right now for me to tear him apart. And the entire universe does not have the wherewithal to give them the punishment warranted. Behold, the speaker of Lashon Ara sins from the ground until the sky. So rather, you send your arrows against him, first from heaven, and afterward he'll receive the Gechaleh the, Tamim, uh, the Rosen Wood calls from me below. Meaning the Sar of Genom says to Hashem, listen, he's still in the world. All I have is his Neshamai, but he's, his, the body is still connected to it. So I can't punish him. Especially since now I see that his Lashon Ara, or her Lashon Ara is affecting so many people, destroying so many houses, destroying so many mitzvot and everything else. I want to rip this guy apart, but I can't. I need, I need your help, Hashem. What do I need? I need you to shoot your arrow from Shemaim, take him out of the world so they can put him in here, and then I'll take care of him. So in essence, it, this is the partnership between Hashem and the ministering angel of Genom for people that speak Lashon Ara, Hashem Yishmael What's the tikkun for somebody that spoke Lashon Ara? If they're a, the same Gemara talks about it, if they're a person that is a Torah scholar, let them learn more Torah with Mesirut Nefesh and also work on their humility. To the point of breaking themselves, breaking their spirit, humbling themselves dramatically. And if they're not a Torah scholar, if they have the resources, they should uh, support a Torah scholar. But even if they don't have the resources, they need to do tshuva by working on humility. Why? Because the source of Lashon and envy comes from arrogance, entitlement, where you think everything belongs to you.
Now, this Rabotai is something that each one of us sees every day in the world. People are jealous of other people, and generally speaking, they're jealous of material. When a person analyzes, analyzes things the right way, they're not going to arrive at such things. Now, of course, in order to even want to analyze things the right way, they have to have some type of inclination towards Yirat Shemaim, fear of heaven. But if they don't have an inclination to want fear of heaven, to desire fear of heaven, to envy fear of heaven, then they're not going to want to analyze their evil deeds. In fact, they're going to think everything that they're doing is right. So a person needs to know that when they're admiring somebody else, if that person has more Torah and you're only admiring the stuff that they get as a result of it, you're not admiring good things, you have to do tshuva. But if you're admiring, if you're admiring a, the, the, the honor of a person and it's hard for you to not want that honor, just think of it this way. This person is here today, at some point he's going to leave the world. And the worms and the maggots are going to also eat him. But at least, at least he has an eternity of good. You admiring everything that he's gaining is not going to help you get to the same eternal world. Now, more common is people admiring other people that have money, have all type of materialistic things. Now, a person analyzes those materialistic things. It's very, very simple to realize that you're, you're not only admiring things that you shouldn't admire in the first place, but if you actually really have the right perspective, you'd understand that there's no reason for you to even want to admire anything. For example, people admire people's clothes. He sees, oh, look at that. He has a uh, really nice tie, $300 silk tie. Fine, $300 silk tie. Sounds good. It's more expensive than your entire suit, perhaps. But in reality, what's the source of that silk tie? Silk is the waste of a worm. If you saw the worm go through the whole process of creating that silk, would you still admire it? If his tie was full of worms looking for their silk back, would you still admire it? In reality, if you understand that the silk tie is nothing to admire, it's simply a creation by Hashem, and Hashem decided to put it on this guy's neck. That's it. You realize you're wasting your time. Or you see somebody, oh, this guy eats the best food. What does he eat? I don't know. It just seems like everything he's eating is honey. It's all good. What's honey? Honey's vomit of bees. Doesn't go through their digestive tract, thereby that's the reason why the sages decree that it's kosher. But nonetheless, it's something that's excreted out of the bee. It's collected from from one flower to another flower. But the point is it goes into the body of the bees, outside of the body of the bees, to some very, very complicated uh, 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 mechanism that only a Baruch could create. But nonetheless, if you really saw the whole mechanism in real full works and the bees are eating with you, oh, you take a bite, I take a bite. Would you still be envious of his honey? No. Oh, no, no, I'm not envious of honey. I, I like steak. What's steak? Steak is simply a dead animal that somebody decided to cook. So what if I just brought a dead animal and just put it in the middle of your living room? I said, there you go. All right, eat. With all the flies and everything else that's on it. Do you still admire it? No. Why? It's a dead animal. The point I'm trying to make is that perhaps it doesn't reach most of you. Perhaps it doesn't reach any of you. 
but it did help me understand that when it comes to material if you analyze that material deep enough you'll realize that there's nothing to admire in the entire world aside from admiring somebody else's fear of heaven because that's something that can take you places that's something that is admirable that's something you can't buy in a store that's something that you can't just inherit it from somebody that's something you have to work for and you say no money you have to work for it too not necessarily there are plenty of people that did not work for their money in fact there are some people that have become billionaires simply by the fact that they decided to make a risky investment into something they didn't understand and Akadosh Baruch decided to make it work just in the last several months people have told me oh yeah I know this guy he made uh, 500 million dollars on Bitcoin I know that guy made 100 million dollars in Bitcoin I know another guy made a billion and a half dollars in Bitcoin I know another guy made X amount of money in such and such and all types of people made a fortune a fortune over the last several years out of something they truly did not understand and today they look like geniuses but in reality it was just simply a Kadosh Baruch Hu wanting to give these people a lot of money now only only their actions now will show whether that money is a blessing or a curse why if they use that money that Hashem gifted to them on a silver platter without much work without much effort and nothing more than simply if they use that money and they use a significant portion of it to buy material things to buy houses to buy cars to buy junk then unfortunately that money will turn into the biggest curse of their life just like lot of winners just like athlete contracts just like the countless people that got rich really quick the money turned into the biggest curse of their life a lot of corruption even murder all types of horrible things happen to those people think the life of the rich and famous after they became rich and famous and then wanted to commit suicide and sometimes did this is a very common thing and unfortunately a lot of people got very very rich without having the tools of knowing how to be rich I don't mean how to be rich with what to do with the money and whether to invest it in the right place after I mean what to do with the money whether they have the the fear of heaven of knowing that this money is simply a tool for you to buy yourself into heaven by donating it to the right Torah places using it for the right places in essence transforming your own life into a life of Torah there's no reason for you to work anymore go put yourself and your kids in some kolel in some yeshiva and just study for the rest of your life you can enjoy some material things you can do some business if you really want to but you have to make sure you realize this is not a bunch of money for you to just buy a bunch of toys and just go on vacations this money is simply a kadosh Baruch Hu giving you an opportunity to rebuild the Torah world before Mashiach comes now if you think that oh I could do both I can go to Cancun I can go to Hawaii I can go to a different vacation destination that's forbidden every month but I can also donate to the synagogue yes you can but guarantee that all of the places you'll donate to will end up becoming places that don't do the right thing with the money and you'll end up also getting sins 
from the vacations and getting sins from the donations. You have to have merit, merit in order to have divine assistance to make sure that your money is donated to the right places. I've seen this stuff with my own eyes. There was a guy that came to one of my shulim and had an opportunity to invest big into our organization before it got as popular as it did. He came to a shul. Him and he came. He came with his friend a few a week later. Apparently, they had I don't know hundreds of millions of dollars. He loved the shul. He thought it was the greatest thing that ever happened. He claimed to be religious. Says he studies Shulchan Aruch every day. And he wants to invest into our organization. Now I can tell you for sure. Had he invested into our organization, he would have bought himself 50 tickets to Allah Abba because of the amount of people that have done Shuvah, the Kolos, the Yeshivot, the endless people that have become uh, big Talmidei Chachamim, big Baalei Chesed, good people, married, children. Baruch Hashem, a lot of good things have happened over the years. Had he actually made that investment, he would have bought himself many tickets to Olamba. But he didn't. Was it because of money problems? No. He had plenty of money. But he didn't have the merit. Suddenly he disappeared. I never chased him. I don't chase anybody with money or without money. But one day I ran into one of my students. And that uh, student says to me, Hey, listen, that guy, just saw him. I said, oh yeah, I haven't heard from him in six months. It's like, no, but I thought he said next to everybody, he wants to do something, he wants to invest, and he likes what you're doing. I said, yeah. He said, how much did he donate? I said, zero. Nothing. He never donated a penny. Like, wow, I'm surprised because he donates to everybody else. I said, I'm not surprised, but okay, fine. If he wants to donate, he knows where I am. And he says to me, yeah, he has a lot of money. So he said it so many times. I said, okay, well, okay I guess you're, you're trying to get me to bite here. How does he have a lot of money? What does he do that he has so much money? Seems like a relatively young guy. What, he inherited it? He made some really good business deals. What did he do? He says he owns a bunch of nightclubs in Miami, Florida, including all types of Hashem <laughs> Yishmovi I said, now I know why Kadosh Baruch would never let him invest into our Torah. Why? He is a person that causes the masses to sin. You think that a Kadosh Baruch will allow such a filthy person who calls himself religious nonetheless, you think a Kadosh Baruch is going to allow such a spiritually filthy person that causes the masses to sin to also invest in an organization that all they care about is causing the masses to do good, to do mitzvot, to serve Hashem? Never going to happen. He can have a billion trillion dollars and he will never invest a single penny in anything that's worthwhile. Why? That's the decree from Shemaim. When a person looks at themselves in a mirror and they find themselves newly rich with an enormous amount of money they never thought they're ever going to have, or even if they deluded themselves that they one day will have, nonetheless, they have this money. Unless they have the Yirat Shemaim, that's a prerequisite tool to learn, live this life, needless to say, to know how to handle such money, that money for sure ends up becoming a curse. That money becomes a curse. Why? Because they'll do all the wrong things with that money. But if the person has the Yirat Shemaim, then they'll know what to do with the money. Now, quite frankly, most people that have a lot of money don't have Yirat Shemaim. That's why there's an endless struggle in the Torah world. 
There's never a struggle in the Christian idol-worshipping world. There's never a struggle in the Muslim world. There's never a struggle in the atheist world. But the religious, the Torah world is constantly struggling just to make ends meet, just to keep the yeshiva open, just to deal with all of the new decrees from the evil governments around the world. It's a constant struggle. Even though those struggles could be answered by one or two rich people. It can never be. Why? Because those people don't have Yilat Shemayim. So how could this match ever be made? If one of those people that's rich and was blessed with money is smart enough to know that they don't have Yilat Shemayim, but they still envy it. If they envy Yilat Shemayim, if they value Yilat Shemayim, then they'll surround themselves with people that will teach them how to have Yirat Shemaim and thereby earn themselves the merit to invest in places that publicize Yirat Shemaim, whether it be a yeshiva or a kolel or a synagogue or otherwise. You see, Rabotai, all of this money that's in the world, people can't stop talking about it. Everybody knows somebody that became rich over the last several years. Unfortunately, a lot of people assume that just because people are rich, therefore they give. And not only do they give, they give to the right causes. It doesn't work that way. To give to the right cause, we have several shulim just about that. To give to the right cause requires merit. Requires merit. To earn that merit, a person has to have yirat shanayim. And since most people do not have Yirat Shemaim, Hashem made a back door available to everyone to still get it. How? Envy Yirat Shemaim. Go find yourself a rabbi that will teach you Yirat Shemaim. And have enough, enough humility to accept the fact that despite your wealth, you don't have all the tools to know what to do with them. But the one that has Yirat Shemaim can show you how. Or you could just continue deluding yourself to thinking that you know everything and you know better than everybody else. The choice is yours. The world will continue with or without all of the success or the failures of people. It would be wonderful if people actually understood the truth for what it is and did the right thing, but only time will tell. In the meantime, we've learned enough that we don't need to delude ourselves to thinking that we're perfectly fine and we've done all of our job because the fast today alone was a personal rebuke for me and I'm sure for at least some of you that we have a lot of work to do on our own Yirat Shemaim. We have a lot of work to do on our own servitude of Hashem because technically if we really had the ideal amount of Yirat Shemaim, we would be celebrating the fast and the suffering of the fast, as much as we celebrate the Seuda of Leila Seder and uh, uh, the Seuda before uh, Yom Kippur. If we had the right amount of Yirat Shemaim, we would celebrate every single one of the mitzvot that we have in our hands as if this is the ticket to, to Gan Eden. We would celebrate it. We would appreciate one Mishnah, the same way that the Stipe Lagoon appreciated that Mishnah and that young boy, as if 
He already has all of the qualifications to stay in your yeshiva and there's no reason to kick him out. Your entire list of sins that he made are null and void because he knows one Mishnah. If we had the right amount of Yilat Shemaim, we would see the Torah from that perspective. If we had the right amount of Yilat Shemaim, we would envy the righteous people for the right reasons. If we had the right amount of Yilat Shemaim, we would look at all of the material that we have, whether it's directly ours or we're connected to it in some other way, as simply tools for us to serve Hashem. Instead of talking about all of the rich people that became rich and how great it is for them, perhaps we should pick up the phone and call them and say, listen, why don't you donate to this great organization that I know? It's going to help you, Allah Rabba. Instead of thinking about all the things you would do with the money that you don't have yet, why don't you look at what can I do with what I do have? I have $10, I have $100, I have $100,000. What can I do with it now? Because no one's promising me tomorrow. Instead of looking at all of the Torah that you need to learn, what we review if we're applying everything we've already learned. If we are analyzing things for what they really are, we'll realize very quickly that we have a lot of work to do. And so much work, there's just no time to be jealous of anybody else. Because they have at least as much or even more of an obligation like we do. Bezod Hashem, we'll see each other again tomorrow, learn some new things, and Bezod Hashem, sanctify Kadosh Baruch Hu's name one more time together. Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen Amen.